Welcome to the DAP Project. This is Rhonda. And I'm Aaron. We're talking with Sky Shadow today, a very special guest because he is one of my older brothers, the closest older brother in our family to me. I grew up nearly attached to my brother's hip, and he influenced all of my style choices from listening to A Tribe Called Quest and then going to open mic poetry readings around D.C. when we were teenagers. Giving Dap was an integral part of that culture and in most spaces where he showed up. So I appreciate being able to honor that in this space and to give it full conversation to really understand what DAP means to him. So what was interesting to you, Aaron? I really appreciated the moment when Sky shared with us um, how DAP is special between he and his son. And, you know, we really don't get to hear about those moments with black fathers and their children. So that really stood out for me. Okay, let's do it. Let's kick it off. Tell us, you know, your name, where you grew up, where you went to school, that kind of intro stuff. Sure. Sky Shadow. I grew up in Washington, D.C. in Northwest. Um, with Rhonda. <laughs> That's right. Best thing that could have ever happened to you. Right? I mean, it's a unique experience, right? How many people have grown up with Rhonda? Right? Uh, nine that we can think of. <laughs> Jumping on her bed in the morning, waking her up. Okay, let's not go there. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What else? Uh, so I moved to, um, well, first of all, after high school, went to University of Maryland Eastern Shore, which is a HBCU, right? So that continues there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Got to dap it up with people all up and down the East Coast. Um, it went going to the HBCU, so that was cool. Uh, and then after that, came back to DC for a little bit, got into the poetry scene, and then shot on down to Houston. I've been down in Houston for the last 18 years. So that, um, how's okay. that? So eight, 18 years in Houston. My wife is from Houston. I'm from Marshall, Texas. So I'm, okay. a, I'm, a, I'm a Texan. Uh, originally, so that's, that's good, and that's a good perspective. We need, we're we're trying to get the Washingtonian perspective on that, but yeah. we definitely want to also see, you know, how that may or may not affect, not affect, but how that influences you now as a Houstonian. You know, I'm I'm a transplant Washingtonian, you're transplant Houstonian. You know, how does that, that does the culture? go with you a bit or is the culture that's in Houston the same as the culture that's in DC? So that's cool to know. Tell us a little bit about how you first learned uh, to give people that. Oh, okay. So sure. <laughs> and Rhonda can relate to this. So we had older brothers growing up in the house, right? Mm-hmm. Older adult brothers. Um, we used to hang out at Tacoma Park, Coolidge. They grew up around there. Um, and I would see them at the park see them around the park and those friends would come back to our house and hang out like on the porch and we go places with them so to see those brothers um give that that was probably my first experience as like a teenager you know kind of mm-hmm. um witnessing it right around, not around what age part of it off the off the top yeah do you think that was like junior highish or what part that of- was indeed. That was like end of end of elementary school, junior high. Yeah. And it was around that same time uh, going to deal that brothers started to come into their own and you started to feel a sense of, uh, of solidarity. And you would pass people either in the hallways, pass them basketball court, pass them waiting for a bus, 14th in Colorado. And you would either slap fives or give that. And that was um, so you start going into high school and then, you know, remember when X came out, Malcolm X movie. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if that was senior year or if that was um, the middle of high school for me. But then we started learning about the black arts movement, black rights movement. Um, and we had a great uncle, too, in our family, Uncle Gaston, who was a part of the black arts movement 
um, down with the Panthers back then. And so there was a, definitely a spirit of solidarity and, um, and representing the people in our own family. Mm-hmm. So there was a continuity from our own family and then out into the popular culture, into gangster rap, into hip hop, trap, quest, Wu Tang clan, X clan, all these other influences that would come through in BET. Um, so there was, I mean, growing up in DC, Chocolate City, um, around the eighties and nineties, there was a strong like Afro vibe. And I think that is just part of that. And so it was natural to, for people to just carry this on and, um, and connect that way. What was Dio like? Was that population wise or demographic wise? Was it mainly mostly a a black school or was it a? No, it wasn't. No. In, uh, in let's call it upper Northwest, Mm -hmm. right? You know, near Wisconsin Avenue, um, close to, um, forget the name of that school. What was the name of the school that Chelsea Clinton went to? Sidwell. Sidwell Friends. Sidwell, okay. So there, you know, it was probably like 45% black, if I okay. would have to guess. I, I really don't know figures on that, but there was a healthy Mexican, Latino, as well as Caucasian population there. So I would say it was a fairly good mix. Mm-hmm. But being that it was in D.C. and that it was a public school, you had kids coming from all over the city that actually went to deal. Yeah. Well, that we came from all over the city, but once we entered the building, we filtered into heavily segregated classrooms. Now, so that's definitely in. true. That's mm-hmm. definitely true. And so most of my friends were black, mm-hmm. you know, even though I knew Caucasian kids, you know, you knew um, Latino kids that you took the bus with. You probably didn't take the bus with white kids, but still, mm-hmm. <laughs> you took the bus with, uh, with kids of color for sure. Yeah. yeah. As I remember standing on the bus up on 14th in Colorado, I definitely saw a lot of guys giving each other that, and it was almost like, all right, we're about to go into this thing together. Let's, uh, yes. have, we're having our moment now on the bus, which was part of just being a teenager. And then the other part of it was preparing to go into this um, upper class, predominantly white neighborhood that Deal is situated in and to be in an environment where it was technically diverse, but it was only really diverse, like in the morning when everybody's going into the building or mm-hmm. on the playground. But even on the playground, you had your distinctly separate racial groups. You had black kids on this side, white kids on that side. And then a mix of students from outside the United States in a separate area. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Now, would you say the DAP was reserved for your black friends at Deal or was it something that everybody was kind of getting into? Nah, for sure. <laughs> it was for the black kids at Deal. It ain't like today when you got, you know, white kids giving DAP and like I go to an industry conference during Corona times and it's a handshake free conference mm-hmm. and so you got folks that are 60 you know from all over america giving dap right mm-hmm. get, get bumping elbows and stuff like that right right it's, it wasn't like that yeah. it was just for the black kids for real and okay. you might have a few um latino kids who were you know kind of indoctrinated in played mm-hmm. basketball with us you know may have rode the bus with us who would also get into that too but i would say it was mainly reserved for african americans yeah, so in that environment, you know, the, the, we're probably about the same way. I'm born in 77. So in, in junior high, um, in junior high, early high school, in high school, in that environment, what, what do you feel you, you were communicating with the DAP versus, uh, hey, how you doing or a handshake or any other greeting that you would give to folks who weren't friends or non-black friends? It was a familiarity. It was a solidarity. It was also expressing my cool factor because, you know, you would see DAP on TV. You would see DAP in uh, Right On Magazine's Word Up magazine. You were seeing it with your heroes. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of extending that cool um, to your friends who understood that, you know. Right on. Right on. Oh my God. With every <laughs> right? Right now, right now, your heroes putting them up on the wall. Right. That's yep. the thing, right? Yeah. Yep. That was your wall before <laughs> my space, space. Yeah. Right. Can you think of like the first 
TV show or movie where Depp was like, ah, what they're doing in Hollywood, you know, on the screen is what I do here in my life. You know, actually, it goes back to some old movies um, during the black exploitation period, right? Mm-hmm. Um, during the 70s. So me and my cousin got into those movies because his uh, his uncle was into those. And so there were actually some VHS copies laying around his house. Mm-hmm. When I would visit his house, we would watch them. Sidney Poitier. Huh? His cousin Carol? Yeah. Which uncle are you talking about? Mark. Uncle Mark. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Dad, Uncle Mark, right? Okay. I have to remember that Carol and Mark are... Uncle and nephew. That's right. That's right. So Carol was my homeboy, also my cousin, through through my stepdad, mm-hmm. and we would hang all together. So uh, on the weekends, we'd go check out Bill Cosby flicks, check out Richard Pryor, Sidney Poitier, and also oh, some of the other. Yeah, all the all, all the functified movies from the seventies. Right. And we would see some of those guys um, pop locking and giving dap like in party scenes and shaft and whatnot. You know. Mm-hmm. So. You know, that was that was an interesting thing to see there and mm-hmm. then see it on BET and then see it on your MTV raps. And then it's around your school, you know, and yeah. it's in the mall when you're mm-hmm. hanging out or it's in the go go. You know, yeah. let's talk about that. Let's talk about that in the go go, because that's something that I wasn't really paying attention to. I had my mind on other things at the go go. Um, yeah, for sure. Sure. You saw all sorts of nice things at the go-go from other parts of town. So I was interested in that. Um, did you see any that that looked different from what you were doing at Deal? Maybe what dudes were doing over at Anacostia or at Dunbar or at McKinley, St. Albans? You know, I don't have distinct memories of differences between the DAP from like guys in different parts of the city or different schools, like a distinction between um, DAP at like, let's say you have people that went to private schools and then DAP from public schools. I really, I'd have to like think on it, but off the top of my head, uh, I didn't know. But I mean, depending on where you were at, you could get some very colorful interpretations. <laughs> you know, you could get like some, some knuckle action going on and then you get some explosions. You can get, you know, some up and down and boom and pop, like, you know, so yeah. people would just do that, you know? And how'd you feel when that happened? Like in the middle of, of all this going on, did you feel like, oh, this is great or what, what are we doing here? No, I, I would try to embrace it, you know, and just try to flow with it. That's, that's really what it was, just experiencing everybody else's, um, expression, everybody else's creativity, mm-hmm. what was fresh, what they were picking up, you know? Yeah. Think about like Black Sheep, leaders of the new school, all these guys, right? They, they lost soul. They were always experimenting with, you know, different ways of wearing their hair, expression, cross colors, you know, all that cool stuff. So that was right up in there with the dap. Yeah, I got to go check out the Me, Myself, and I video. I think there's some good dap in that video we need to get footage of. Um, For sure, man. <laughs> For sure. And poor righteous teachers, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and some good. Uh, Oh yeah, Buster Rhymes, Leaders of the New School. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. L O N S for sure. Yeah, I'm getting this on record so we can remember to look at it, Rhonda. Um, <laughs> the one you can probably go on YouTube and check out the videos and like you know get yeah. some references in there. The one dab that comes to mind uh, came to mind in the first interview, but the first time I think it really went viral using today's terms, but really got into suburban neighborhoods was with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. Given I think that. I mentioned that in the intro conversation with Rhonda. Didn't I mention that? Okay. So yeah. do you, how did that, that visual for you as a 13, 14 year old, uh, do you think that made you say, I'm going to up my dap game or are they copying my dap game or, or, oh, they dap to Any, anything come to that you can think back on that, 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 or your thoughts on that period? Like, what was your conversation with Rhonda earlier? Well, I think we were just going through different um, media sources for seeing DAP reflected. You know, 
um, kind of echoing the experience that we were having at school. And hey, it's echoed here in like mainstream media, mm-hmm. you know, not just like BET. BET was kind of mainstream, but to have it on a mainstream network like that, yeah. that was really self-affirming, you know. And so to see that, it uh-huh. made it, it kind of said, hey, uh, this is cool. This is acceptable. This is what's up, you mm-hmm. know. And so I think we would try to like do different things to up each other mm-hmm. and try to emulate what we saw Will Smith do. Yeah. That was like representation before representation was a thing, at least (laughs) in my mind. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely better than Steve Urkel. I don't think there was any dap, you know, with the Steve Urkel. Nah, nah, Stefan either. Either one of them. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah. So what that tells me from a woman's perspective is that the dap, the giving of it, the receiving of it is something of an unspoken test. And you want to pass, like it's part of your identity and you want to come off as like the coolest dude in the room, or at least among the top quartile of cool dudes. That's how you distinguish yourself from being one of the cool, cool guys versus a herb is being real slick with your dad and not messing it up. So, what, Especially what? if a lady is looking. Like think about the dancing we would have in the gym, right? What? The sock pop. The sock hops in the gym, right? With the lights on. With the, with the, and sometimes with them off, right? Sometimes they went down low, depending on the grade. I think by ninth grade, yeah. sock hops with the lights low, ninth <laughs> grade, lights bright, all right. snow. Nah, we were hugged up, for uh, sure. Yeah, we were hugged up, that's right. Okay. And I remember, I remember going through there and you know, you ask the DJ to play the song you wanted, give him some dap, right? Mm-hmm. So it was, um, aside from like communication and, you know, expressing yourself, there was also, um, a sense of, uh, showing gratitude, you know, mm-hmm. that was an affirmation. Like, yeah, it's like, so, so if you ask someone to do something and then you dap on it, it's like, they're going to do it. It's an agreement. It's an unspoken agreement, if you will. You know, we, we dapped on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, if um, if someone has done something for you, you're showing appreciation for them with that dap. Thanks, man. What's up? You know, appreciate that. Let's lock it in. Yeah. And that's more of it. And you never said, OK, this means I'm expressing my gratitude. But it was a gesture right. that, yeah. that meaning evolved. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, you know, when you talk about guys being cool. You, um, it's the subtle things, right? It's an upward nod and a dap, right? Mm-hmm. That understood, yo, that's my word. You're going to do it, you know? Yeah. So, so, yeah, I go ahead. I'll ask you to transition to talk a little bit about Aaron, your son, and how you are imbuing this and instilling this perspective in him. Okay. So when we were going through the transition for divorce, very tough on Aaron, continues to be very tough on Aaron. He's 10. Um, this started when he was seven. Um, and Aaron and I always been very close. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to the therapist about ways that I could support him. Right. And we were just, just brainstorming on different ways. It was just she and I in the room. Um, and I said, you know, my friends and I had like kind of a secret handshake or, you know, we would, you know, give each other dap, you know, but something that was personal to us, you know? Um, and so I said, maybe if we had like a special dap, then, you know, like at the end of like when dad's going to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we have a hug and we have a dap or we have dap and then a hug. And then that's our that's a way of expressing our bond. That's unique between just he and I, not something that I have with his his sisters. He has three other sisters, mm-hmm. but just something that's just he and I. And so she said, that's a great idea. You know, she do that. And so we did that for a while. And he was ecstatic about it. He was really happy. Just something that dad and I could do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so. Um, I gave it to him. I said, son, this is going to be our secret handshake, our secret dap. Um, I want 
you to come up with it. And then I'll add something to it, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll just make it as fun and as fresh as possible. And he was like, okay, I like that, dad, I'll do that. And so after a couple of days, he, uh, he came back with something. He said, okay, I think <laughs> I've memorized it finally. <laughs> and, and he had came back with something really creative, you know, and it ended with like, you know, uh, a pound and then like a clinch and we brought it in and then a hug, you know? Yeah. And, um, and he just hung on to the hug the first time, mm. you know, but he was really excited about it. And that was something that we continued for probably maybe like the first year of the transition. And we kind of just fell out of it because it seemed like he, um, like either he didn't need it or, you know, the, he was, you know, feeling better about the separation, being able to let me go until mm. the next time I would pick him up, you know? So I would say that it helped us get through a very difficult time, you know, and I felt good about being able to share something from, um, from my, my childhood or growing up, something that I value with my son. Yeah. Especially in a meaningful way. Yeah. And in saying that, I mean, I have two daughters and you mentioned that you have daughters as well. Yeah. Yeah. Three. And and with guys, this has come up a lot in, in exploring depth, you know, guys were not as communicative as, as women are. And it's like that to me is my way to communicate things that don't get said otherwise. So what you're saying is that's, that's very deep and, and very, very precious to, uh, to have that, to have that with your son because, you know, long and short of it is we're not going to talk much about the emotions and the feelings and all that that we're going through between men. We want to, but it's just not, I don't know if it comes natural. That's my personal opinion and my opinion as, as someone to study psychology or whatnot or, or, or uh, sociology, but uh, to have that, I think it's something that's very powerful. And you just you just perfectly described it. The power that, that can come with the handshake, the dap, the embrace. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Sure. About that, Sai, when you describe how you have instructed your son in that, that is a very like Aaron was saying, powerful passing on of a a cultural uh, behavior. Like that's part, it's unique to you, but it is also part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder about how you see Aaron picking this up in other places and spaces. Like do you anticipate that he'll go to junior high or middle school and and flow right into it, that it's something that his friends will do with him, whether it's his Boy Scouts or his friends on the playground. In your in your mind's eye, how do you see Aaron learning, learning how to dance? I've already seen it. I've witnessed it in the Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah? When he was in the Boy Scouts, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was in the soccer team. So it's something that has, uh, I think, a wider appeal now. Um I mean, when I do, I mean, when I do Uber at night, I mean, I see white kids all the time, digital natives coming in, want to give me dap, you know, stuff they picked up from wherever. Mm -hmm. And I don't give them side eye. I just flow with it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, add my thing on it, blow it up, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know now it's something that um, it's become very mainstream. Yeah. Outside of the African American experience. Right. So I'm fine with that. I don't know where they pick it up. They pick it up from TikTok. They pick it up from watching, you know, you can find anything online now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I am surprised by, um, kids that are 17 that come in and want to freestyle Sir Mix a lot. Seriously. Yeah. And 50 year old white kids, I mean, white adults that want to come in and know all the MC light lyrics. Yeah. Did y'all just see the, uh, who was that? Tom Hanks' wife, uh, Freestyle and Naughty by Nature's, uh, OPP? Yeah. I saw that <laughs> the other day. It's right with a straight face, right? Right. So it's become popular, right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, so for me to see white kids dapping it up, <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, and I just wonder, is this something that you picked up genuinely or something that you just saw and you're like, oh, I was cool 20 years ago, so I'm going to, 
you know. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just well, emulate this culture vultures. It was cool 20 years ago, but it's also cool today. There are. It, it is cool. It was originally cool, right. you know, yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah, that was the origin of it. But as we're hearing from people, it's still an essential element of greeting one black thing to another. That I, yeah, you you mentioned um, going to conferences and things of that nature. Now I know now we elbow, but historically, when you go to a conference and it's a mixed demographic, black, white, different ages, do you find yourself uh, when you do see a fellow black man at a conference, or you know, it could be any any crowd or any uh, I don't know church or what, whatever congregation that may have a mixed uh, demographic, do you find yourself only dapping the black folks, or do you find yourself dapping some everybody or what what do you feel there if i'm in a professional setting going Mm -hmm. to a conference prior to coronavirus (laughs) i would generally not not dap a brother even if it was just us like in a conference room before something was setting up Mm -hmm. i would generally shake his hand yeah you know just because we're meeting as two professionals Versus meeting as two people, mm-hmm. you know. Right now, if I met him in a social setting, more than likely, if I, you know, I'm watching clues, right? Depending on the kind of guy, the rapport I have with him, right. also looking at his hand, yeah, you know, because he may want to do a handshake, bring it into the chest, and then you know, hit him mm-hmm. on the back. He yeah. may want to do something like that. So I just check in his orientation. Yeah. You know? So, and the person that you did meet in a social setting and then see them in that professional environment the next time, the conference, you know, not, not around the boardroom or not too, not too, uh, corporate. Do you think an adapt would ensue or, or happen? Or yeah, would, would it, it would. If, if I had that kind of rapport mm-hmm. and I knew and I had established rapport with a guy, for sure. Yeah. I would. Yeah. Because first of all, it's me because I'm a personable guy. And then second of all, it's something that is, um, that is more common now and it's acceptable, yeah. you know, you do in professional settings when you have a rapport with somebody. Yeah. So something you said earlier about the professional setting, I'm hearing from different people that there are different ways you can approach that. That in the one sense, you can go straight for a handshake in a professional setting and then in other other folks would say, no, I'm going to dap it up regardless. But can you talk a little bit about why you make that choice or the kind of calculus that goes through your mind? Is it a reflection of your wanting to appear this way versus that way? Or if you have certain aspirations, then perhaps giving that in that environment would clash with your or hinder your, your aspirations. Tell us a little bit about what goes through your mind when you, when you do that or not do it. Okay. So in like a professional session, I'm going to think about the rapport I have with that person. Um, for me, it's not necessarily about aspirations or an agenda that I might have as far as the relationship that I'm trying to maintain with that individual. But it's more about the connection that we have. You know, um, if I have... Let's say that person is not a kind of person who gives that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to try to initiate that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can read that person and see if they're interested in pursuing that type of exchange, that type of connection, you know, or or this may be a a repeat um, encounter that I have with that individual, seen him a bunch of times. I've noticed him in other settings. He doesn't give that to anyone else, you know, so I'm not going to try to push that. But if I've noticed that he gives that to, let's say, um, people that are from his university, his alma mater, people from his particular frat, because you see these associations in places like Shell, where I work, you know, um, um, then I will, you know, I'll put it out there, you know, and it's an eye connection mm-hmm. thing. It's a very much in the moment, a very intuitive kind of thing that goes on, I would say, you know, between brothers, yeah. you know. I've even had sisters give me that too at work. Let's talk about hey. that. You have right. a you have a policy, uh, written or unwritten, about extending that to females. 
Do I have a policy? Yeah. No, not at all. You want to give me that? I'm an equal opportunity dapper. You want to give me that? What's up with that? If you, and you call me out here, if you wanted to give me that, I would definitely give it to you. Thank you. Yeah. Have to think about this. Have I ever done it for you? No, I know for sure you haven't. I wouldn't remember it. Okay, right. Got you. Well, I do it with my girls for sure. We don't have like a unique, elaborate thing, but we definitely get that. Lena, oh, she's the worst dapper in the world. up this slow, slow thing. And it runs away. It's, it's just a personality. But Camille, she will bust your knuckles. Right? That's Pam. We just got to make sure, you know, we're being specific here. Right. So the girls will give you a pound, not a dap, because one of us in this conversation has a very firm belief about extending daps to women. Well, when we speak of that, I mean... Rhonda and I, uh, we exchanged dap. <laughs> you know, I'm like, we're doing a dap project. We should be giving, we should give dap. But in, in the midst of doing that, it was like, nah, this, this did, did not feel right. But I think it goes back to the, the Vietnam origin of I see you. Um, Darnell said, uh, had to show him some love. I mean, yeah. the, the way historically I do that is a hug and, or whatnot. And it's interesting what you mentioned about co-work, female co-workers that give that. You said female co-workers or just in general down in Houston? Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering, I would like some more context on it, but does it come about, um, because Houston is different. Houston is, that's the South, the real South. I mean, DC is the South, but D- Texas is real. South. And I'm not sure of what um, your immediate surroundings are, if it's mostly white folks or whatnot, but maybe it is that female coworker or female counterpart saying, I see you, brother. Let me give you some depth because I know in this environment, nobody else is really seeing you. But That's right. We're in this together. So I'm a part of the um, Shell Black Networking Group. It's mm-hmm. an affinity group within Shell, yeah. right? And so, um, I think, you know, I've been sitting, I had various roles in that organization since I joined 14 years ago. And so some people there, sisters, will give that. Gotcha. Beautiful thing. Right. And, and I think uh, there's context there, Rhonda. There's context. (laughs) I mean, you know, but no. Like, you know, coming into a conference room and just going to give me. Yeah, but I think I think there's some power in that. I think there's some power in that versus we're going to exchange our change our way of greeting each other to dap as opposed to a hug. <laughs> that just you know. <laughs> that is funny, yeah, because our relationship didn't emerge out of we're in this together. Right. It emerged as oh, this is my friend's husband. I know you socially, so yes, a hug is appropriate. Right. At some point, but if we're ever in the trenches. <laughs> Right. Going down. I'm sure. I'm sure it would be different. I'm so sure it would be right. If the people come. Yes, yes it's definitely. Uh, it's definitely going to happen there. So Darnell again and David said no, and even Kevon, you know, our brother-in-law, producer's husband, said no. You don't that females um, because one, you're coming in for such a hard slap that it might hurt their hands. And you don't want to do that. So it's a, um, a thing where you want to be gentle. Mm-hmm. Right. Then, you know, a traditional mindset about male, female relationships. Fine. No problem. Mm-hmm. We can do that. But that is their thinking around, around giving that. So are you working on Lena and her, um, her limp pound? I've given up on it. <laughs> it's, it's so unrewarding and frustrating. You know, I mean, it, and it's just the others, no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it up. Yeah, we know that Lena, as an older teenager, can sometimes be in her feelings and not really amenable to things like that. 
And I can imagine having been a teenager in her feelings, you know, I always sympathize with Lena that um, it's not something that you necessarily want to force, but I do understand that it's not really rewarding. Mm-hmm. And that it can leave you feeling like, well, damn, I must be out here by myself. You know, I'm giving this good energy and you're giving me that sour face back. Mm-hmm. I know, right? <laughs> and with Camille, you know, our all around, sure, let's do it, down for whatever kind of chick, it must be reinforcing, you know, it reinforces the the strength of the relationship. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, that's what we're doing. That's what we're about. All right, let's do it. And I want to go back to equal opportunity dapping. Um, <laughs> uh, I told Rhonda a story about uh, a fellow parent. My, my girls go to independent school or private school here in D.C. And a fellow parent, I just we're my girl. We were at a soccer game for our five year olds, our six year olds. And somehow, some way, as opposed to our handshake, I gave him I gave him some dap. And. <laughs> Tell the story. You sound a little hesitant. Like I can't believe I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 ever since I was like, why did I give him that? Because it just came naturally. You know, that's that's how I mainly greet folks. You know, so I'm all, I'm mostly around black people. So it just came it just came out. We were in a, a good social setting. But the next time I saw him, I you know I had him back in my mind, or I, I knew that this is not my boy. Even though we're cool, we're good friends. We we go to each other's houses every now and then. I gave him the regular handshake, but I could tell it was just something. It was a moment where it's like mm-hmm. we're not gonna we're not gonna convert this handshake into a dap from him. I could tell he felt felt some sort of way. Okay, so pause that moment. That was that was the end of that. I saw a friend of mine who I used to teach with um, for five years at a charter school, E.O. Haynes Public Charter School at Petworth. That for we talked together for five years or worked at the same school for five years. And um, I hadn't seen him for about three or four years. Saw him in the park with his kids. I was with my girls. Immediately gave a dap and an embrace, white guy. And it was as genuine as if I saw a black guy that I had been teaching with for five years. And so that's where it felt, the, the going back to that I gave him some love or I see you. You know, something about the trenches that we shared of being charter school administrators and teachers versus just some random fellow parent on the soccer field that added yeah. to the genuineness. So what are you, what are your thoughts on all I just said when we talk about equal opportunity, uh, dapping and whatnot? Now I have experienced the exact same thing, which you talk about yeah. from some white people, mm-hmm. from some, Hispanics, right? Even mm. from some Asians, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And some of them, they're part of the hip hop culture, right? Yeah. Um, like from urban urban areas, mm-hmm. even outside of this country, right? You know, and experience hip hop that way, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But when you talk to them, the knowledge is deep. It's not surface knowledge, right? You right. know, they've been around it for a while. Maybe some DJs. Maybe some break dancers, mm-hmm. but they're a, a part of the hip hop experience, you know, if you will. Yeah. Or the hip hop diaspora <laughs> as it's made its way all around the world, you know, over decades. Right. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting feeling um, when they come at you and you feel that same ease, that same mm-hmm. warmth, that same like energy connection. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and you, it's sometimes it's unexpected. Right. Right. <laughs> Other times, based on what you know about them, you would expect it. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, sometimes it comes up out of nowhere. And it's just like, oh, damn, I feel that. You know? Gotcha. I so. feel you. But you said, because what Aaron was describing was actually spending time with someone on a day to day basis, struggling with them, achieving with them, you know, the highs and lows of a relationship lived out. And Guy, what it sounds like you're saying is these are folks that you may or may not know, but they have some historical knowledge or some intellectual understanding of a culture. And mm-hmm. they know that thing, you feel an affinity 
support them. But I would suggest that even knowing about a thing doesn't mean that you are in it together. Mm -hmm. Because the way you live out your life as a person of color, as a black man, is different than the way that they might live out their lives, the way that they may interpret different situations. And so that gap can communicate different different things if you are not necessarily from that experience. I think that's what what Aaron was suggesting about his relationship with this guy who wasn't a person of color but had gone through this daily experience every single day. Mm-hmm. Right. Daily. They had established a relationship. And this was the first time we ever dealt in that part. While we were teaching together or whatever, we never exchanged dap or rarely had a reason to shake hands. It was, you know, hey, good morning, Stafford. How you doing, bro? Or my man or whatever. But it was never, you know, a dap. So that's why those two experiences of the parent, the fellow parent versus these guys I used to teach with, the first time I've ever dapped them as white men, um, was starkly different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One other thing that comes to mind is um, that as signifying your participation and your membership in a culture, and I'm thinking specifically about those days that we were running around to different um, poetry and music events here in the city when we would go to Intermug or the State of the Union or um, any of the other poetry clubs that, that don't come, that I can't remember the name of, but we would go to an event. Ah, the They would do Bohemian, Bohemian Taverns or, um. The yeah, Ratchet one. Yeah, Bohemian Caverns. Nice Cav- yeah, t- yeah. Back in the day, yeah, before it was what it eventually was. But I always wondered what you were telling people through the exchange of that. And how that was a way to introduce yourself and how to present yourself in that particular setting. Because there was never any handshake. It was always a hug. It was always that. Right. That with hugs, loves, you know, people would do like prayer, prayer hands. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it was this guy, Summer Yeti 24, who would do like, he would get you with the dap, bring it in, and then he would like pop his head into your chest. It was like, okay. What is he telling you with all that? What were you, what were you signifying to? I was getting eccentricity. (laughs) You know, I was like, this guy's being over the top. You know, (laughs) checking out his clothes, the way he, you know, animated talk. It's like this guy's just over the top. You know, great. You know, you would get like some very free spirits also in there. You get like some militant poets who would have like militant dap, you know, mm-hmm. straight, straight, <laughs> right. the rosters too, right? Yeah. They would dap it up, yes I, yes I, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. And then cast that have like the loud pop, right? That open pop, right? Yeah. yeah. Beautiful thing. Yeah. You mentioned that because it's gone, let's say, mainstream to a certain extent, has the dap lost any relevance or power? To you or for you? Mm, that's a very good question. Um, I would say when it comes loosely from people, you know, and it comes from certain people very loosely, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of lost its thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would say that it loses itself when it comes from a certain population in a certain context, mm-hmm. but it's not lost on me from other populations where I know it's authentic and genuine. Yeah. Can you give us examples of the former and the latter? Oh, okay. So if um ah, if I would meet you, Aaron, right? In the setting mm-hmm. we meet in a coffee shop, you know, we meet um at a party or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we give that very respectfully. Um I'm being introduced to you, right? But it's just and we you know, we come at it and we just bring it in, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not watered down. Right. You know, I see your age. I'm looking at the T-shirt. You know, I'm feeling the warmness, the authenticity from your face. Yeah. I know it's a generation where you you came across this earnestly. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just something you saw on TikTok and you decide to <laughs> just flow it out to people. Right. You know, right. just all the time. You know, so I respect where it's coming from. But 
when I meet some millennial and they're just, it doesn't fit with the character and it doesn't come across in the right respect, then, you know, I'm like, ah, it's wasted on you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I just kind of go through the motions, you know, it's yeah. not to make an awkward scene, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of, okay, all right. You know? Yeah, it feels Because I don't want to put a person out there, you know, and make a scene, but at the same time, I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, so I'm reserved about it. Right. How have you handled situations like that? Because maybe you've come across somebody that really shouldn't have been doing it, they didn't do it right. Yeah, with me, I'm the same way. I feel like an enabler after I do it, because I'm like, I should have checked them. And be like, <laughs> and be like, yo, man, <laughs> this is not for you. You you need to figure figure out a new greedy for yourself. But you know, yeah. you 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 go through the motion. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm particularly thinking about an Asian guy that works works with me. Um, just, I mean, great guy, but but it's an inauthent- inauthenticity there, um, and a feeling of trying to appropriate the culture, trying to to to. You know, black culture and hip hop culture is pop culture now. Yes. So, but that's what, but, th- but that's what it, to them is pop. To us is, is some depth there, you know, but, yes. but to them is pop, you know, black is cool or becoming cool or is always has been cool and always has kind of moved the culture, moved the, moved, uh, what, what is popular, uh, for, for decades or centuries maybe. So. But I feel the same way. I feel exactly what you said. I feel like, okay, I'll go through the motion. Um, yeah. But, but when I, I feel dirty afterwards. Yeah, it's something about it, right? It's something about it. Dirty. Yeah. Kind of like I felt, kind of like I felt when I gave Rhonda some dab. I was like, oh. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Think, uh, uh, what was the last time that you? I mean, I know we give you might see uh, your coworker or, or, or folks you see often, but when was the last time you felt that you gave that and like, oh, I actually was showing some love, or I actually was letting this person know I see you, or vice versa? They that they said I was saying that to you. Ah, um. There you go. So my in-laws, mm-hmm. um, my in-laws, my mother-in-law is from St. Lucia and my father-in-law is from uh, Crockett, Texas. Right. Mm-hmm. So very soulful man. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Crockett. And so he is always giving me that. Mm-hmm. And he he's bringing in solid, you know. Yeah. He's just a very soulful guy, you know. Locks, always wearing colorful clothes, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. just a very soulful brother, you know. And he's always preaching. Matter of fact, he used to be a preacher before he became a truck driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the black experience is deep inside of him, and he extends that love to me um, as a future son-in-law all the time, and so I feel it from him. Yeah. So that's the last time when I visited his house. Yeah. All right. You know, sometimes he might say, Hey, young God, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, these are the same people that have, uh, Imhotep and, uh, black Egyptian figurines on top of their mantle at home. Mm-hmm. And that, in Crockett, Texas. Yeah. That's, that, there's some depth. Extra depth <laughs> when you <laughs> when you have that. I mean, yeah, being a being a Texan and and to have that level of uh, wokeness, for lack of a better uh, term, to come to mind, is some real depth there. It's I, I feel it's more common space here in D.C. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because when he escaped Crockett, he learned some things that um, would not be common. And mm-hmm. people, you know, looked at him sideways when he came back to Crockett several years later after he met my mother-in-law, mm-hmm. who was searching on a spiritual mission. You yeah. know, and so they did a lot of um, research in back into Africa, back into Egypt, um, specifically to learn about Comitian, 
um, mm-hmm. Commission spirituality. And so when they came back with that, they were not welcomed mm-hmm. um, in Crockett, you know, mm-hmm. at the family reunions and stuff. They didn't want the weird people, right. <laughs> even right. though he was from there, mm-hmm. but he did not have the He was woke. Right. You know, right. Right. Say. So, yeah, I see on the screen now. Y'all probably can't see me. Cause the sun, yeah, the sound is dipping a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, see you. We see you, but it's dipping. Okay. The, the yeah. sun has set on my balcony right now. Yeah, yeah, we can see that. And so the last thing that I'll say, I always sound like a preacher going into their first quote, into their second quote, but not for all the last thing I'll say. Um, so hearing you say that about, um, your, your future father-in-law, Mr. Coulter, tells me that the, the power of the DAP can never be diluted. So as mainstream as it will go and has gone, mm-hmm. when it is exchanged between two people who genuinely care about each other and who know the origin of the DAP, even if they don't know about it from being from Vietnam, but knowing that they learned about it in the basement of their grandma's house or their uncle's house or their cousin's yeah. house, that, that to me says that the meeting will will impure. It may mm-hmm. look different, it may see other things going, that's fine. But when you do it, you know what it means. And the other guy knows what it means. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Big Bro, for your time. I appreciate it. Sure, no problem. Thank you for asking. And mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was good to finally meet you, Aaron. I heard good things about you. I appreciate that. Great to meet you too. Great conversation. And I look forward to following up at some point. Yeah, hopefully I get to see you um when I come back up that way in December. Cool, cool. Sounds good. I'm I'm down in Houston every now and then. I might have to look you up. Oh yeah, bro, <laughs> do that for sure. All right.